Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com. And by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. From Tula Tacos and Amigos in downtown Lafayette, we're Out to Lunch with Christian Maida, publisher and editor of The Current. It's business, Acadiana style. Welcome to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mater. You know, what's not to love about a donut? They're fried, fatty, crispy, doughy, and sweet. You can dip them in chocolate. You can stuff them with Bavarian cream and roll them in sprinkles. They come vegan, gluten-free, or covered with bacon crumbles. You can slice them in half and use them as a hamburger bun if you're in Minneapolis. Anything that good has to be sold by the dozen. And it should be easy to do, right? Well, not so much. The donut business can be cutthroat. It's a crowded market out there and one dominated by customer loyalty. Plus, the hours are terrible. Why get into this business? Well, my guest Drake Poche says because it makes people really happy. Um, The chance to make someone's day better is a great reason to get up at 3 o'clock in the morning. And Drake owns Village Joe in Maurice. He and his wife bought the shop in 2019, looking to diversify their income and find something new to sink their teeth into. And they navigated the pandemic shutdown and came out on the other side with a donut shop that folks are driving to from all over Lafayette Parish, which is saying a lot with all the good donut spots around here. Um, But before running Village Doe, Drake worked in communications and ran a successful insurance agency, which he sold in 2021. Drake Poche, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you for having me. So everyone loves a donut, but not everyone likes politics. And that's what my next guest sells, ideas. Uh, Marie Centani is a political consultant running her shop, Centani Communications, since 2009. She's a vet of the political scene, and her specialty is communicating public policy. That means taking a wonkish piece of legislation, dipping it in chocolate, stuffing it with Bavarian cream, and selling it to voters. Cynics may not like it so much, but it's how the policy gets made. And I'm sure Marie has to get up plenty early in the morning to do it. Um, during the 2021 legislative session, Marie played a big role in communicating the push for tax reform, a process which took steering several pieces of legislation through a toxic political climate. Marie is a former broadcast journalist, worked as a staffer on Capitol Hill, and served as press secretary to former Governor Kathleen Blanco. Um, she's advised over 250 candidates through the candidate training boot camp at the Louisiana Free Enterprise Institute, which is the nonprofit arm of her top client, the Louisiana Association of Business and Industry. Marie Santani, welcome to Out to Lunch. Thank you for having me, Christian. Drake, of all the side hustles in the world, you pick donuts. Uh, and it's not like there was an obvious gap in the donut market, right, in Lafayette. So, so restaurants are really tough business generally, as I think most people recognize. What was it about donuts that made you feel like this was worth the risk? Um, there wasn't a whole lot of direct target for donuts when we were looking at um, expanding our business opportunities. Um, we really just wanted to find a business that we could invest in and that we could afford to invest in. And, and when we looked at a handful of them, this donut shop popped up. And that's what's so amazing about the story and the transition over the last year and a half that we went through is that we didn't buy it with the intention of it becoming a passion project. And it only took us a few months for that to actually become reality. So were you looking at this, you know, forgive this this sounds pessimistic, but I mean, we looking more like for a mailbox money type gig, like I'm going to buy a business and it's just going to make no, me some money. I don't think we would ever buy anything that we wouldn't like really get involved in. Sure. But we did want to have something on the side because and the insurance industry is very ebb and flow. Like you could have really great years and really terrible years. Mm-hmm. And so we wanted something that could provide us some stability on the side and something that would be a little bit more lighthearted because I'm a lighthearted kind of guy. And like even from day one, the insurance industry was not 
a great fit for me or for my personality. And so we found the donut shop, um, closed on it in February of last year, and um, really fell in love with it over the summer despite the, the um, COVID-19 severely impacted the business. Wow, wow. I mean, of course, falling in love with what you do is an important part of it. Marie, you're clearly a person very passionate about what you do. Um, you started your career early with Democrats, I've kind of noted, right? So yeah. Mary Landrieu and then Governor Blanco. You work with Lobby, which, I mean, look, is not partisan specifically, but no. typically you know, I think aligned or, or generally seen as being more aligned with Republicans. Or at least so, conservatives. Sure. Yeah. But this is a question I've always had about political consulting, which is like, you know, to what extent do you find that you have to align your clients with your own political values, right? Like, are you finding that like, you know, you, you is there a line that you have to draw where you say like, well, that's kind of not where I'm going to go? Absolutely. Or, so how does that work? Absolutely. I mean, I, well, I started off, you know, as you mentioned, uh, working for a, a congressman. Uh, I was actually working for a congressman from Arkansas. He was a blue dog Democrat back yeah. when that was a thing. Yeah. Uh, very close with Chris John, who was my congressman. Yeah. And that's that's how I got the job. Uh, and then when I went for work for Kathleen Blanco, she was, again, a very conservative Democrat. Mm-hmm. And really, she was pro-business. Yeah. She was pro-education. She opened the door for a little bit of the education reform that I worked on in years past. And so um, that natural evolution has led me toward, I wouldn't say it's it's ideological based, but it's more in that pro-business economic development realm. And as you said, that does lend itself a little bit more towards conservative candidates, but I never... Uh, I don't close the door to anybody, but I do only work for candidates and causes I believe in. That's interesting because, I mean, one thing that I, I guess that it wouldn't have drawn this line just on paper, but, you know, these are, yeah, they were Democrats, but they're kind of like from a different era of how yes. we even thought about this. They when, would probably, well, maybe not Governor Blanco, but most of them would probably be moderate Republicans today. Right. Right. Or, or even, Democrats. This is like 20 years ago. Yes. Yeah, that's really interesting. I mean, and, and it's sort of like, I got to think that that's just indicative of just how much the landscape has changed, right? Absolutely. I mean, because the parties even at the time had broader tents than there I think were. they do now. And they were focused on caucuses. You know, so you had a rural caucus. You had um, agricultural caucuses. You had people aligned with common goals, not just on party. And today it's kind of that great divide has kind of obliterated these caucuses. Yeah. Okay. So here, here's... Uh, the king of radio segues, Drake, is there a difference between the kinds of donuts that Republicans like and the kinds of donuts <laughs> that Democrats like? Hmm. Not that I'm aware of. I generally, I, I think this is the one thing that they can all agree on is that they love donuts. Yeah, have you ever considered, I mean, I, I can't imagine you have, <laughs> like just sort of asking somebody, it's like, okay, w- what would be your order? And like, are you a Republican or a Democrat? That would make your business check this box very very difficult <laughs> i don't know to get how yeah. successful that would make me uh <laughs> i'll let some other donut shop give that a try first yeah i mean I, so this is actually interesting i mean i feel like diners and shops and restaurants are like actually a pretty frequent place for people to talk politics it's certainly like you know old timers love to go to donut shops or the morning to talk about life i mean is i, I gotta think that you do actually kind of have an earshot to political you know discussion happening i'm not asking what it is but like i mean do you find that like is that kind of how things are working at Village Joe? Do you have that no, kind it, of clientele? I think it might eventually go there, but if you think about the time frame that we've owned the shop, it's during this COVID time uh. period. And so, like, we really, we even though our shop was open most of last year, we were closed to guests, and so we were drive-through only. And so what we do see is a lot of families now, now that we have reopened the shop to customers sitting inside, and we're very tiny. I mean, the shop is 1,100 square feet, and only about... 300 of that is front of house so it's like we have two small tables 
but we do have the same regular customers that come in with their kids and and so we don't hear a whole lot of political talk we do hear a lot of <laughs> you don't have to say it's it so family politics. Yeah. another I kind mean, of politics <laughs> yes it's family politics yeah. uh and and talking about whatever cartoons are on the tv and yeah. and that's kind of the way i like it i mean that that's what i think drew me so much to this particular industry once i got a handle of it is that and i spent eight years in insurance and 12 years in economic development those are very heavy concepts right and i realized that that's not my personality like i'm i don't like those kinds of hard conversations i was decent at it i would hope um but i found like the my worst day at a donut shop is when somebody drops their food and they want me to replace it i'm like absolutely <laughs> uh you know like I, I don't have the kind of stress and anxiety that i used to and uh-huh. that's just because of the nature of the business and it just it brings people join it brings me joy yeah, I mean, that's interesting. I mean, I, I don't know if you had asked me 10 years ago, like, if I would think of myself as the type of person to be in, like an investigative reporter, I'd probably say no. I think I'm kind of wired like you, Drake. I don't actually like to make people mad, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. And I do that a lot. Um, I mean, Marie, you've always struck me as a, you know, you're a charismatic person. I mean, like, part of your job, of course, is to, you know, talk to people and yes. get them to see the, the world the way that you do. I mean, have you always felt like political communication was aligned with who you are or is that something you grew into it was an evolution i you know i was the girl the teacher would call on me and my face would turn beet red and i was just like please don't make me talk in front of people please don't make me talk to strangers my mom would send me into the grocery store in abbeville to get something and i was like please no like not by myself you know very shy very shy and then drake and i were both in speech and debate in high school and that kind of brought me out of my shell gave me more confidence and and helped me uh, realize that communication is such a tool such a useful tool and that I had a talent for it and I was pre-med in, in college. I come from a long line of medical people on my mom's side, on my dad's side and it was just kind of like, all right, you're, the, you're smart, you, you need to go to med school. Quickly I realized that's not what I wanted to do and I need to just kind of stick with the talent God gave me and then that would make me happy and keep me fulfilled and it has. It's yeah. been great. Yeah. Uh, I mean, one thing that kind of strikes me that may have changed over the years too, right? I mean, it's like the, the, the nature of your work probably more reliant perhaps on social media or at least that has yes. a bigger piece of it and, yeah. and I think that like maybe traditional conceptions of how politicians do their work is like showing up to shops like Drake's and talking to the people there right it, like it like, was like pressing the flesh and saying hello and like where's your baby I need to kiss it like that sort of thing I mean has that really changed a lot do people still put a premium on actually getting out to meet voters in that sort of way? Yes. And so obviously it depends on the kind of campaign that you run, but I had one candidate and part of her strategy was brilliant. She had to run in some very rural areas. It was a special elections. Not many people were paying attention. And part of her strategy was that every morning she had a list, she would meet with people and she'd say, all right, I'd like you to give me your support. I'd like you to tell me three people I need to meet and maybe help introduce me to them. And then I want you to tell me where people gather in the morning. And every morning she had a schedule. She was somewhere at 6 a.m. She was at the feed and seed where the farmers get their coffee. She was at the place where you buy your barbecue dinner after church on Sunday. And she really did have this map of the gas station with the good coffee, the place, the McDonald's where the sheriff's deputies gathered. And she would hit it all. I mean, that was just such a good use of your time. But, yes, social media and really the evolution of just general digital communication has made it such a science. Whereas before, you had to cast cast the widest net possible. Now it's super targeted, very specific, very efficient. Hmm. Yeah, it's really interesting. I mean, like... uh... 
I guess I'd be curious to hear from you, Drake. I mean, like, obviously you haven't been running the shop for very long. Um, but, I mean, like, you know, you mentioned earlier you're getting a lot of families in there. I mean, like, how are you sort of communicating to people when you're trying to get new customers? My, my perception is people kind of, like, get obsessed with, like, one idea of, like, okay, I'm a Republican or a Democrat. I'm a Mesh's Donut person or I'm, you know, from, from Crowley. I like Rudox or whatever, right? Like, so, you know, how do you, how do you go about trying to insert the idea that Village Dough, right, needs to be your donut shop. What I've learned, and both my wife and I have learned, is that food is such a visual medium, and we use social media a lot to promote the shop. In fact, that's the it's almost exclusively what we do to promote the shop. And, you know, at the beginning, especially when we were partially closed for COVID, I mean, our sales numbers were terrible like flat out terrible and we you know we we started by saying you know what let's start giving discounts let's see if we can do free donut holes with any purchase or something like that to try to draw crowds in and what we quickly discovered is that people didn't care about getting something for free they liked seeing cool things that nobody else was doing and so what we started doing is very unique items like we do a a different donut of the month and it's something that really pushes the envelope as much as the donut envelope can be pushed um, and, uh, and, and <laughs> I think it can be pushed a lot. <laughs> yeah, it can. It really can. And, yep. and so, like, yep. we throw a lot of things at the wall and see what sticks. Yeah. And, uh, and we get to be creative. And that's what's so awesome about it is that we don't have to seek permission from anybody to decide what are we going to do this month. And some stuff, it's not appealing at all to some people. And some, but you get, but it is to others. And so you'll get a draw of people who have never had, for instance, a peach fritter before. And we did peach fritters two months ago. And we got a whole peach fritter crowd that we normally wouldn't have gotten that just don't peach like fr- apple fritters but love peach, peach fritter fritters. Market. <laughs> uh, yeah, we cornered the peach fritter market. Um, and uh, sometimes we do something really cute for kids. And that's what we found, too, is that whenever we do really great designs on donuts, even though they don't taste any different than a regular donut, it's just, it's just icing. Um, but when we make it look cute, parents bring their kids in and that's what draws people in. And so when the parents come in to bring the kids to get their Pokemon donuts, they also buy coffee and savory items and other things like that. And, and one a lesson my uncle, who's been in the food industry for a long time, taught me is that Cajuns like savory stuff. And so we decided that we needed to expand our savory menu. And, and we do a lot of savory items that no other donut shop does. Like we have a lot of the same stuff, but we like doing new things. And so what that's done is it's brought back a lot of people. You well, know, what like, are some savory items that, that you added that other people So we, we, did a, we started doing a chicken bis- biscuit last summer that um, oh, has good. pepper jelly on it. So like you get that like spicy, and we use a local source vendor um, to do the pepper jelly. And so that was our first little dip our toe in the water. Like let's, do, let's not just do sausage, egg, and cheese biscuits. Let's do a chicken biscuit too. And all, all last summer we sold the heck out of chicken biscuits. And then we, we decided to start doing stuffed breads. And so there's a local vendor who makes stuffed breads that a lot of other donut shops sell. We started selling theirs, but then we were like, we can make some our own too. And so we started just putting together like brisket stuffed breads. Yum. And a, what we call our breakfast stuffed bread, which just has like every breakfast item you want in a stuffed bread. And like people clamor for those things. But when you think about the economics of it, I can sell a stuffed bread for five dollars versus a ninety cent donut. Well, I'm going to sell. I'm going to try to sell a lot of stuffed breads. <laughs> what was one idea that you tried that didn't work? Oh, um, something you threw at the wall, and you were like, maybe it's better that it stays on the wall. So we we tried um, 
I don't know. That's hard to tell. Like everything has has its own little unique market. Like when, when the peach fritter probably did the the least sales of our donut of the month because fritters is such a unique item that some people are like, oh, it's a dry donut. Well, I mean, it's more than that to me. Like I happen to love fritters, um, love but that fritters. was the that was the least successful of the monthly the donuts of the month that I think that we had. So, so but even then, it wasn't that unsuccessful. Like we haven't had a bomb that I can think of. You're listening to Out to Lunch. I'm Christian Mater. I'm talking to Drake Poche of Village Doe and Marie Santani of Santani Communications. Marie, I, I kind of want to ask a similar question to you. I mean, you know, successful political campaigns can become things that get ironed in people's minds, like Morning in America, right? Like things we do. Was, so you know, a lot of it is so much about distilling what can be complicated ideas into something that people remember, right? Yes. And, and, and also something that, that resonates with them. And so, you know, sometimes these things, I would imagine, also fly, you can fall flat on their faces. Sometimes, there, yes. So I'm just... <laughs> I mean, as much as you're willing to share, has been a campaign that you've tried, a slogan that you were like, we're going to roll this out, baby, this is going to sell. And you were like, nope, that did not work. Or something that backfired? Not really anything that backfired, but we did have, I mean, I would say this year was just a disappointment in terms of what you expected the trajectory of momentum to be and absolutely got derailed. And some candidates did very well pivoting and figuring out how to survive in that new uh, environment. Others didn't. And what so, derailed? COVID. Uh, so it was in the 2020 cycle, um, you know, typically the spring is when you fundraise. Well, that's when the most economic uncertainty happens. No one's writing a check. No one's going to a party. Certainly there's no big fundraising events where somebody can show up and support you. And people were very timid about asking for even online donations because no one knew what was going to happen. So um, people who, who expected to have a certain budget and a certain trajectory tanked. And some bounced back, some didn't. And if you were, you know, a, a newbie running against an incumbent or a well-known, that really puts you on the back foot because you had to have the budget to get your message out to overcome what your opponent had already established. So, yeah, that, I would say COVID forced quite a few campaigns to fall flat if they weren't in position to overcome that tremendous hurdle that hit at the right time when you have to build momentum in your campaign. Has, like, bread and butter political messaging changed? Like what, what works with voters? I mean, it would seem like there are certain tools in the tool chest that you kind of go to, like any craftsperson, right? Sure. Knows like this tends to work for this kind of candidate. Has that toolbox changed a lot? Not really. Uh, the, the, the buzzwords that people look for change, um, you know, the things that resonate. It, it's always a good idea to do message testing. You know, when you're polling in the spring, you're not polling to see if your candidate can win because... I mean, you can't, that, that has become less predictable, but what you poll is to see what moves the needle. If I describe Christian as a donut-loving, eyeglass-wearing taco connoisseur, does that make you want to vote for him more than if I tell you, Absolutely. Uh, <laughs> you know, he played, what was the game y'all were discussing earlier? Starcraft. If you played Starcraft, if played Starcraft eight hours a day in yeah. middle school, you I mean, get would you be vote. more likely, less likely to vote for him? So. Yeah. It depends on the district, it depends on the demographic, and it depends on the characteristic you're trying to sell. But in general, I like to start with character. I mean, if I meet you, I don't jump into, hey, we need to build a wall and make them pay for it. Like, nobody starts a conversation with a stranger like that, but so many candidates jump into the red meat of whatever their ideology is. When you meet somebody, it's where are you from? Where'd you go to high school? Who's your parents? Do you know so-and-so? Oh, you work there? Do you know so-and-so? Okay, and then you kind of feel like you've established that common ground and you move on. I like to hit whatever that common ground is and build that relationship of trust because whatever you're running for, you're asking people to vote for you, but asking them to trust you. And so if you can't start from that place of breaking through the noise to get that 
foundational relationship built, it's it's a lot of work. It's just noise. Speaking of breaking through the noise, I mean, Drake, it sounds like things are working for you guys. I mean, you're being able to, like, get an audience that's attracted to you from out of Maurice and, like, drive down there. I mean, have you thought about opening Village Doe 2? I mean, what, what happens there? We, the, the secret code word is Village Doe. Thank you. Village uh, Doe. Uh, yeah. You couldn't help yourself, could you? <laughs> no. I've been having that one in my back pocket for months. Um, we, yes, I, I think just... My wife and I are both have an entrepreneurial spirit. I mean, I spent 12 years in the Chamber of Commerce world. I love small business, um, and I, I love just talking small business. I just have a blast doing it. And so we, we, we brainstorm and look for opportunities all over the place. I think we have a very um, good product, and I think we have built it based on a passion. So it's not just... Uh, it's not just trying to serve fried bread to people. It's like creating an atmosphere that people want to come to and an experience. And that's what we try to sell is that it's an experience when you come to Village Dough. You're not, and, and look, for some people, they just want to come up and get a dozen donuts, and that's fine. Um, but for some people want to come and, and know that the people working behind the counter actually know who they are. They know what their order is before they actually get in there. And they like to get, um, put, give them things that they couldn't get anywhere else. And so for us, I think that that's something that we can replicate because we have the passion for it. So yes, we, we have been considering a second location. It sounds like, I mean, you know, feel free to push back here, but I mean, that approach you're saying we're pushing the donut envelope, right? The first thing I think of, you know, the kind of famous donut shops that you see on the West East Coast, like mm -hmm. in Portland, there's like Voodoo Donuts, right? Yeah. And people yeah. travel there to go eat these kind of wild Donuts, it's not something that you would necessarily think of as thriving in a market as small as Maurice, right? So, like, have you thought about, like, well, I should go to Lafayette? I mean, or... Uh, we, we've looked, yeah, I mean, we can't expand in Maurice. Uh, so we, definitely, we definitely have <laughs> yeah, to look I mean, elsewhere. Yeah, uh, sure, Let's sure. just get that on the table. You can uh, own both sides of Maurice, <laughs> yes. <laughs> Everybody's forced to slow down the right Village here. Village Doe 1 on the north side of Maurice and yeah. Village Doe 2 on the south side. No, uh, yeah, we've, we really haven't put a a limit on where we think the second yeah. shop would go. We, I mean, obviously we, we have to be aware of competition, like, because there are a lot of donut shops around there, yeah. but there are some places that there aren't. And, but you also know that people go for different reasons to different places. Like you find your community, you well, there's a lot of Mexican restaurants here in Lafayette and, and you find a taco or you find a quesadilla that you really like and, or you like the atmosphere. It uh, doesn't mean that you won't go try one somewhere else, too. And so, like, we know that we can be part of that donut community in Lafayette. We like to present things that they're not going to get anywhere else. Um, and we do try some things that, like, places like Voodoo Donuts try. But, you know, a lot of those places, they like throwing a lot of crazy stuff like a Snickers on top of a donut and say, that's our special donut. And, look, we try to do some of that stuff, too. But I think we like trying to find some more unique flavors that it's not just adding something to the top. It's like changing what the flavor of the donut actually is. Um, and those are the kinds of things that we like playing around with. So it's a little bit more sophisticated. So, so Maureen, something that, that comes up in my mind is thinking about, you know, you, you mentioned earlier that you sit down with a candidate, you sort of take a measure of their character. Mm -hmm. That in a lot of ways defines how you're going to think about introducing them to the world. I mean, but how often have you found yourself in a position, you sit across the desk from a candidate and you're like, no, this is not for you. Or look, you're trying to put a Snickers on your head and clearly, <laughs> let's not do that. Clearly that's, that's, that's not your brand, you. right? Like that's not going to get people to buy your political donut is yeah. not the being, you know, kitschy or whatever. Sure. I think 
It's like that, that, that series, Everybody Has a Story. There's something about everybody that can connect with people. And there, there's, I'm not saying everybody has a stellar character, but there's some kind of basic connection that you can find that will resonate with the voters in everybody. And sometimes that connection may not be as important as some other asset that they bring to the table, like their experience. Maybe their experience is what sells them. Maybe um, it's a well-known name, and, and they're already established, and you don't have to worry about that. But I think everybody has a little something that you can find that makes a very compelling story, to introduce them at least to the voters. Yeah, I don't think it could be overstated, really, that in business, whatever it is, I mean, you really are about storytelling, right? And, and, and so if you're selling donuts, you're selling candidates, you're selling ideas, it's sort of like, can you get people to connect with your passion or connect with, you know, who you are, right? Yes. And, and, and maybe that's something you put on a plate, maybe that's something you put on a push card, right? But it's all kind of ends up being the same thing, which is storytelling. And it's great to hear stories from both of you and, and how you're putting this together and, and, and your, your lines of work. So, Marie and Drake, it was great having you both on the show. Yeah, that was fun. So glad to be here. Yeah. Uh, my guests on Out to Lunch Acadiana today have been Drake Poche of Village Doe and political consultant Marie Santani. We edited this show to fit into the time slot here on Care of Yes, uh, but you can hear our unedited conversation and find out more about Marie and Drake and what they do by listening to the Out to Lunch Acadiana podcast, which you can find anywhere you get podcasts and on our website, it's acadiana.com. If you want to know what we look like, you can find photos from this show on itsacadiana.com and on our social media. These photos were taken by Nathan Davis, and you can find more of his work on Instagram. Out to Lunch Acadiana is a production of INO Broadcasting for itsacadiana.com and KRVS 88.7 FM. The producer of our show is Grant Morris. Our technical producer is Eric Merle. Today's show was engineered by Kieran McIntosh. Our associate producers are Molly Richard and Jan Risher. Our researchers are Ty Banowitz and Claire Como. I'm Christian Mader. I'm the editor of The Current, Lafayette's nonprofit source for local news. For local news and commentary, head over to, to thecurrentla.com and sign up for our newsletter. Till then, I'll see you here again next time around the lunch table for more business Acadiana style on Out to Lunch Acadiana. Bye-bye. Out to Lunch Acadiana is recorded live over lunch at Tula Tacos and Amigos. Tula Tacos and Amigos offers street-style tacos, margaritas, and an open-air courtyard on Jefferson Street in the heart of downtown Lafayette. Major support for Out to Lunch is provided by the law firm of Jones Walker, established in 1937 with over 375 attorneys in offices throughout the U.S., providing a comprehensive range of services to a local, national, and international client base. JonesWalker.com and by Shorten Associates, legal recruiters in Louisiana and Texas. Mitchell Foreman wrote and performs all the music on Out to Lunch. You can hear Mitchell's music anywhere great jazz is sold or streamed and at MitchellForeman.com. 